Welcome to Bite Side. See, I last week I promised I was trying to think of a way to sing it, and so I sang it. And yep. I'm here. This is the show, technology, games, digital culture, all those cool things. And I'm joined, as always, by Nick Healy. Nick, how are you? Well, thank you for not making me attempt to sing it this time. Uh, look, in fairness, <laughs> you didn't try and make me sing it last time. I just felt like I had to. And I, I think we're all better off for me not yeah. ever trying to the do that. The more often I sing again. it, the less pressure you'll feel to join in. That's oh, what I think. Boy, that's generous of you. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> Look, it has been um, a very weird week in the world of tech. I mean, like the biggest, most obvious thing that I think we can kind of mention, and then I've realized based on our run sheet, it's going to feed into what is a week of phones, 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 phones. (laughs) Because, of course, last week after our show, sort of a few days after, we heard that Mobile World Congress was cancelled. It's a huge thing to have to fall off the map, a big victim of all the coronavirus fears. Um, I think compared to some of the other things where we have heard, you know, things being cancelled very much out of fear, I think Mobile Congress is something where it is so global in the sense of the people who are coming and also that there's so many companies that are based out of China that they clearly really did, you know, well, I guess first it was lots of people cancelling and then eventually they're like, mm, enough big companies have cancelled that we should shut it down. Um, so that's kind of been a weird one. But the thing I wanted to put to you, Nick, is you know, if if a 1,000 phones don't get to launch a mobile <laughs> congress, do do they even exist? They do exist on some weird conceptual <laughs> level. Look, it's been really interesting. I've never actually been out to a Mobile World Congress, and I know you have been. And it's always mm. had a, a bit of an interesting place because it started as where you'd go and show your latest, you know, I don't know, 3G cell technology. It was regarded for a long time as yes. very much about the infrastructure and very boring. And then I guess in line with when mobile phones became the product, it kind of took off there and became somewhere that big launches could happen there, which traditionally it hadn't had on, on consumer technology. Um, and what we're not going to see this year, and it has leaked now, TCL, which is not a brand that I think many people associate with phones, although obviously they do a lot of that manufacturing work out of China, they have a prototyped phone. You and I have been talking about flex phones and bend phones and fold phones. They've got a phone that slides out. Now, it's incredibly hard to describe, but somehow you kind of push it and it doubles in width while taking the screen with it. Yeah, this is kind of freaking me out. I've seen the photo of the before and after shot, essentially, I'd love to see a GIF or a video that actually shows what this thing looks like when it's opening out. Because, I mean, it says it's sort of behind the screen, but it's not like it's folded. It it almost feels like it's starting to delve into that whole territory that we, we talk about of having rolling screens of some kind eventually. Because the idea that it's going to expand outwards like that just seems so weird that it can work. I think it has to be that kind of sliding screen that we saw with the um, the LG tech, uh, TV that you and I have spoken about, which um, mm. folded away. It reminds me of all things of those old school, what were they called? The hip slide? It almost <laughs> like those phones where the, the, the screen slid up and that's where your keyboard had been hidden under. That's kind of what I think it must move like. Yeah. I, I had an old, 
what was it called? Kyocera slider. That was my, <laughs> one of my first ever mobile phones. Uh, yeah. And it was, it's the old flip it up. And then the little keypad was hiding underneath it. And it was tiny. This on the other hand is one of those ones where it goes, here's a, quite large looking smartphone and it even looks a little bit like skinnier yeah full kind of widescreen style and then it becomes a giant square and that's the bit i don't get about some of these <laughs> folding sliding flipping screens is when it tries to turn it into a giant square for you what's the point of a square format and i know literally as those words leave my mouth that one day I'm going to look back and go, remember when I thought square <laughs> screens were dumb? Look, I'm excited by this simply because it, it is a novel approach to this kind of um, expandable screen design that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. And I'm really excited for anything that is kind of pushing that design envelope. And let's be clear here. We're talking about some renders that have leaked. We had no idea what they were going to be able to actually show at Mobile World Congress. Um, they might have just said, hey, here's something we're going to be working on just as an idea for the next 20 years. We don't know. No one's suggesting this phone was about to come out this year. But yeah. we are seeing some great design work. And it, it, you know what it's doing? It's throwing me back into the world where Nokia were rolling everything up a flagpole to see what might actually get saluted. Do you remember the 5510 that had the full QWERTY keyboard but split over the screen? So you actually turned the phone sideways to access the, the keyboard? Ah, oh, and I mean, look, we can never forget the Engage, of course. You oh, know, yeah. They really did try everything that they had at the time. <laughs> they did some really, really weird, like some remarkable design work that I think I don't think we've seen the like of it ever since. I'm, I'm actually just having a really quick look at a gallery of some of their weird designs now. I'd forgotten yeah. about some of them. That weird stick that didn't even have, it was the 7280. Yes. It didn't even have a single totally. keyboard on it at all. It was like it. you kind of rotated it almost like it was an old dialer. It was so weird. And yet they were trying stuff and they were doing new things. Yeah. And, and we have lost that innovation quite some time ago because of the practicalities of where we are with phone design. As we are seeing this materials change, we are seeing that innovation come back. So thank you, TCL, for even if all you did was render something out, you at least got people excited again. <laughs> yeah. And look, I mean, it's worth pointing out, I think, a lot of TCL phones, I think, are sold in Australia under an Alcatel brand. That's um, right. Because I think they own sort of that nowadays for, for phone hardware. Um, they've also, I just read an article, uh, last week that was actually about the fact that TCL in the US has now become one of the dominant TV companies and actually now sells more TVs outside China than inside China, which was sort of a, you know, and, and given how big the domestic market is for some of these companies, I actually, uh, you know, literally having a flashback to when you and I went and visited one of the, well, I cannot remember which company it was, but one of the uh, Chinese manufacturers in Melbourne who was just starting to break into the, it was Chang Hong, that's right. It was Chang Hong. And they, yeah, and they were sort of saying, yeah, they're like, to us, it felt like a small new challenger brand. And then they point out they sell like 200 million TVs a year back in China. You know, something crazy, you know, millions and millions, more than the Australian market would ever give me like, wow, why are they even bothering here? Um, so yeah, I think TCL has been doing some really interesting stuff in the last few years 
across the board when it comes to making more uh, interesting plays to actually kind of you know start asserting itself, not just as one of the little brands out there, which is really cool. And I also just love anything around these trade shows where it truly feels like a company wants to just show off an idea and get feedback on an idea. That was like always the thing I loved about going to Computex versus <laughs> CES is you know, CES is so polished sometimes that you're like, well, we're not seeing anything that really um, that, that feels like it, it wasn't already about to hit the market. You know, and so everything is kind of predictable in a way that at some of those other shows, it's great when a company literally stands there on their on their kind of show floor stand and just actually asks you, what do you think? <laughs> Should we release this? I'm like, that's brilliant. That's what more of these shows, you know, and it reflects more of that traditional idea, like you said, where it did used to be just about infrastructure. I think it's definitely one of those, you know, cases where you, you just loved seeing that companies were there to negotiate and work things out and discuss things like the specs you know what well, i remember like i think one of the last times i was there it was still in that negotiation of what what would 5g even be you know and there's a lot of that stuff going on that isn't about all the consumer stuff we're seeing out on the main floor it's all that wheeling and dealing that's going on uh yeah amongst very very high level executives and engineers and all that sort of stuff so i like it when a little bit of that feeling of of planning and just making things up as you go along sort of hits the hits the main floor as well especially if you get to see things like do you remember zte having a crack at a, a modular phone where you could just pick the bits off that you didn't like and put new screens on or a different camera yeah exactly and i mean what was that other google project that oh, kind of failed google. over the years I but want to call project it project ara, ARA? no yeah project ara um, you're like yeah it's kind of sad that that thing never really found its feet because again just you know everybody i guess it's that old thing right everybody thinks they want to have exactly the thing they want but then the fussiness of it all ends up making people go, oh, I'll just, I'll just buy the normal one. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's kind of how it goes. Look, before we move off Mobile World Congress, um, not the only thing that's been killed by coronavirus. Have you seen Apple share price over the last day or two? No. They've no, gone down going on? 1.8%. They went down on Tuesday after uh, there was a concern around the impact that the coronavirus was having on their Chinese manufacturing. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's right. I forgot they, they put out a like uh, one of those advisories to the investors to say, we're probably not going to hit our numbers because... Uh, yeah, even things like, right? Like the stores have closed inside China for a while. Yeah. Um, and therefore they're just, you know, that old thing where it's like, how many X, you know, phones do they sell every single day? It's like, well, we're closed at the moment. So we're not selling anything. <laughs> I look, you know, they had three magic words in this advisory that I think if anyone saw them, they knew they were going to cause problems. iPhone supply shortages. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, 1.8%, not bad, to be honest, if that's all they're going to drop down. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's a really good point. And I know, look, I have to say as well, you know, when we think about Mobile Congress, we think about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, a week ago or well, more than a week ago that, you know, Samsung did their usual thing of saying, we'll throw our unpacked event to reveal our latest phones. Uh, but in the process, it means... 
they avoided the whole Barcelona mm. situation, you know, and got to have their big fancy event and now get a, a much kind of cleaner run at the news cycle in a sense because there's not, you know, now two weeks of teasers of what people are announcing <laughs> next week. I think it's just going to end up being an awful lot of inboxes full of digital announcements of new things coming out as people just sort of scramble to still put the news out, even though they didn't get to hold their big fancy press conferences. Look, obviously, I think one of the big disappointments of not having a Mobile World Congress is uh, the lack of articles about how much phones are going to cost when they come out. (laughs) Yeah, look, and I have to say, this is definitely one of my little... (laughs) Um, bugbears at the moment is, you know, Galaxy Z Flip. I know sort of people are talking about that and same with the Motorola Flip and all these uh, motor. What's no, what was it called? It's Motorola. the Razor. It's just the Razor. <laughs> Thanks. Good job, Seamus. Um, the Razor that everybody is, oh, $2,700 and, uh, it definitely gives you room to complain if it doesn't work well. I think that is, there's no question there, but definitely there is just so much kind of crap at the moment where people love pointing out, you know, what's, what's the maximum spec version of one of these devices going to actually cost you. And I just think it's kind of a bit of a joke when you think about the fact that no one turns around and says, you spent $2,000 on a laptop. What kind of money is that? It's just crazy. Like phones now are so fundamental to daily life and it is the device you touch more than anything else. The fact that you can even get a bit of a, you know, contract deal attached to it as well so you don't have to pay every cent of that up front. Um, it just seems really stupid these days to me that, look, yes, phones are getting even more expensive than ever and, yes, you can get a cheaper phone that does most of the same job but I think that is exactly the same thing for laptops. You can get a sub $1,000 laptop, no trouble at all. But people kind of completely respect the idea that you might choose to buy the $3,000 laptop because you want a really, really powerful laptop that's going to do extra cool stuff and has a better you know, camera on board and has all the sort of extra features that you decided are important to you. Okay, but the important question I've got in this scenario is, is there still a place for Australians to complain about how much more we cost, (laughs) uh, we're going to pay rather, than if we did just the straight translation from US dollars to Australian dollars? Because it's still a chunk of money. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I, I remember trying to work out like what felt like a good consistent maths formula. I haven't checked against any of the current sort of crop of of fancy new phones, especially, yeah, these, uh, you know, folders and flippers and, oh, my God, I sound like such an old... The folders and the flippers and stuff, Nick. That, that What's did the sound deal very with boomer. All of that? that sounded well boomer. <laughs> um, but, yeah, completely. And because, again, it's, you know, sometimes there is always that little kind of weirdness where, you know, on top of the direct conversion you then have to remember that U.S. has state taxes that will always be applied on top of that base price. Um, so, yeah, there's always a few of those little bits and pieces. But I remember thinking it's like once you get past, you know, 15% sort of window of a, of a premium over the exchange rate, um, then you're probably starting to get in the territory of going, all right, how much are they actually trying to fleece us for this one? I gotta say, when I look at something like the Motorola Razor and I see that it's, I think JB has it for just under 2,700, 
My gut says that that has always been the price you pay literally for being an early adopter. If that's what you want, then you're going to pay the money to have it. Like, you know, no one's making you buy this phone. No one's even suggesting it's the default phone anymore. It's not even the hip new cool phone. It's not like it's a brand new Apple offering. But if this is what you want, and there's many good reasons why you would, it's kind of just how the world's going to go. Yeah, completely. And and that's it. There are perfectly workable options. You know, like I love things like the Pixel uh, 3a. A, that's the extra letter on the one that's a bit cheaper, isn't yes. it? Yes. Um, and, you know, like it is amazing what you can get if you're going for that sort of cheaper price. But it is then specifically, and it is so much like laptops, actually, where you think about the changes that you're getting at the cheaper price are sometimes things like, well, the body is actually a, a plastic instead of, you know, air, air grade aluminium, you know, all those kinds <laughs> of sort of differences that come into that thing of going, yeah, this feels different. It sits different. If I drop it, it's probably going to break differently. You know, all those kinds of things are completely tied up in it. And it, it's great we have sort of all of these options available, but then you're right. For some people, you just want the sexiest, newest thing. And it's not just because it's sexy and new. It is sort of so many of those other aspects as well where, you know, you think, okay, I'm, I actually only want to upgrade my phone every three or four years now, maybe. And in that sense, you say, well, when I buy the new one, I want to buy the really good one because then I know it's actually going to have the best new camera and that's going to last me for the next three or four years. Oh, look, that's certainly where I've found myself. Now that I'm no longer in a position where phones are rocketing in for review every day and, you know, I can go barely a week without feeling like I need to change phones, which I've got a bit <laughs> got really frustrating after a while. Um, I have been letting my phones just go and go and go. And so I'm on the, what am I on now, the Pixel 4? Is the Pixel 4 out now? Yes. But I went straight yeah. there from the 2. Yeah. So I did just let that phone roll on for a while. And was very, very happy to make that change because I feel like this has now been far more than the incremental change that many people complain about. Like, oh, I bought this new phone. I don't know what it does differently to my last phone. That's a valid complaint. Yeah. And look, there's things like, um, you know, there's the rumor at the moment that Apple will release a new version of the iPhone SE. Um, What that gets called, who knows? But that, you know, it's that idea of saying, it's actually going to be based on the iPhone 8, which is now, you know, a few years old. But it's that idea of saying, well, we'll, we'll update a few of the features, but it is about bringing in another sort of baseline model that will give some people that chance to upgrade to something that, you know, can handle all the newest stuff, but isn't also the, you know, the maximum spec brand new thing, but they still want a new device. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, even I think the first time around when they did that, I think it was based on the iPhone 5 at the time. Oh, yeah. So it had the kind of older body. Um, yeah, that'll be the same thing because, of course, everything else has moved to that iPhone X style, sort of full screen, uh, all that rounded edges stuff with no button on it anymore. Um, but then this will be that sort of, you know, update to an older model that still has the touch ID and has some of those older features, but it's upgraded internally a little bit more as well. So, um, you know, even if, of course, the rumor is true, then that might be something that launches next month and fits into, yeah, that other idea of saying you don't have to buy the $2,000 thing. There is a $600 thing now available as well. 
Look, I want to move on a little bit because there's something I want to touch on really, really quickly. Um, uh, it's something we would have chatted about last week if, if it had all been announced when we were talking. Uh, were you a bit surprised that that merger between Vodafone and TPG did get cleared? I honestly thought, talking about that $15 billion merger, it was in federal court. The consumer watchdog was trying to, to oppose it and say that it was going to be anti-competitive. It's been allowed through, and I'm really surprised. I genuinely, with a little bit of reading I'd done, thought that that was going to get blocked. Yeah. Look, I mean, one of the big things that kind of hit me was the fact that, and this like the reason I feel like it's gone the way it has, was that a lot of the position that the ACCC was sort of pushing was the idea that TPG was kind of already this, you know, fourth telco in the industry. Mm. And it's something that, and I, you know, I think it was part of the play by TPG to sort of, you know, sit back and make sure they weren't really rolling out lots and lots of, you know, base stations and things to prepare to be that fourth, uh, you know, fourth network. But it was kind of this bit of tension there where it's like, well, is the merger really sort of, you know, merging two existing telcos versus the idea of saying, well, TPG's mostly fixed line, Vodafone's mostly uh, wireless. It's two separate things coming together. And it, it definitely, I think, yeah, messed with some of that ACCC argument because I guess, you know, they were clever in terms of how they they delayed some of their business strategy over recent years, um, knowing that some of this was probably about to be the <laughs> argument. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's been one of those cases where I felt like it's been hard to know exactly how it's going to play out. And and it's been awkward only in sort of, the, you know, that way where you go, it's one thing if it was three becoming two, but it is that, you know, slightly sort of weirder thing of, of saying it's it's bad for competition, but when we do have Telstra and Optus alongside who are both already well integrated across wireless and fixed line delivery, um, and Vodafone had been struggling for a long time in the local market, you know, there's so many of those elements where you think, oh, well, does it mean someone just ends up folding and closing their doors in the end? Which would be, I don't know, I think very problematic. It, one of the most amazing things that came out of the reporting on this, and again, it's because I don't think I'm mired down into it day to day, was learning that Vodafone Australia is technically insolvent and has always been losing money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Vodafone I mean, Australia. Mm, and, the, you know, the, the one weird bit of that is always what parts of these things are accounting tricks to just send all the money back to a parent company overseas versus, you know, because after all, I think, you know, um, isn't News Limited in Australia always losing money because it has to pay money to overseas entities? You know, there's so many of those weird tricks that go on with very, very big companies that I find it really hard to interpret those things correctly. Um, but there's certainly no doubt that, like, TPG has been, you know, a total juggernaut on fixed line for a very long time and has done a great job of sort of, you know, building itself up, um, you know, as that kind of infrastructure provider. Yeah. And I mean, it's gotten itself in trouble multiple times for, uh, you know, <laughs> false advertising and all sorts of issues, but it's played aggressively. And I think, yeah, I do kind of feel like that this is going to be good for helping to really strengthen the idea that there is a third serious player 
against Telstra and Optus? Well, certainly the analysts agree with you. I saw that Paul Budd, um, very, very pro what the merger is going to mean for the two. Paul Budd been doing this um, kind of telco analysis for, well, as long as I can remember. <laughs> and I think credit agency Moody's even said that they will be incredibly well positioned as a merged entity to be a genuinely credible third player in the telco market. So that is a big shakeup. I think what we're not going to see, and Paul Budd agrees with me on this, we're probably not going to see a big shakeup on consumer pricing. No one wants to get into a price war. Telcos have been losing money. They can't afford it. I think at the end of the day, this will be a nice option, but I don't think it's going to mean that people are going to get money back in their pockets from their existing plans or next time they change their plan. And look, I mean, that's a really important point, especially just as we're entering the rollout of of 5G, uh, you know, these companies are having to spend a lot of money right now to to get that sort of next generation network set up. And I think one of the uh, the tricky parts of that is some of them, you know, are doing that thing of saying, oh, look, well, and when you get on 5G, it's going to cost you a few extra dollars a month just just because because it's 5G. <laughs> we added an extra G, so <laughs> you you have to pay us an extra $5. Um, that sort of stuff gets really awkward, and that's the, but that's one of those areas, I think, yeah, where they try to squeeze prices up a little bit that in the end, yeah, they're going to have to see, you know, like most people at the moment, as far as I believe the deals go, is that they're saying we're waiving the extra fee right now. So everything's, you know, it's fine. We're waiving the fee. Um, I feel like they'll probably be waiving that fee for quite a few years to come in order to make sure that people don't decide to go and try one of those other alternative networks. Look, I think you could be right there. I don't know. You've got to say, Seamus, those Gs don't grow on trees. You've got to charge for the G. It's just when it comes to it, it's not cheap at all. I That's right. I, I have not raced to 5G. We are getting a little off topic here, but I'm kind of interested. My phone, which I only just got recently, I'm planning to have for a couple of years, is not 5G enabled. And I don't think I'm going to miss that for a while, to be honest. So have you made the push across yet? No, no, I haven't. And look, you know, in the, so over on the Jetpacks podcast, I did just recently, I spoke to Harvey Wright over at Optus. Ah. And look, you know, his, the main pitch that they have really is the idea of saying, you know, if the option is there in front of you to choose the 5G model, then by choosing it, you're going to get all those features the second they're available because it's still a perfectly fine 4G phone. And totally get that you know, the future briefing sort of idea, but it also does mean that, you know, there's a long road ahead now. And I think, I think you are perfectly right. And I think I'm perfectly comfortable (laughs) where, you know, two or three years down the track, you know, then when I'm buying a new phone and it, and it is just already a 5G phone, like that, that's what it feels like to me is just when that next option you choose is 5G, then you just buy the 5G phone. But, and until we sort of get to that point, um, yeah, right now there's a lot more rolling out to do before we really sort of feel like we're, we're missing out somehow by not having 5G. And look, given the amount of driving I do on country roads where I live, uh, there are days when you would just be happy for a single G of any description, let alone five, <laughs> right. let alone four. I'm not even too worried about three. If I could just get any telephone reception, it would be remarkable. A lot of work being done on the black spots in terms of those telecommunications coverage. And uh, I'm always feels good about the fact that our local member, member for parks, um, Mark Colton, is also the Minister for Regional Telecommunications. So I know he knows what's going on. That does make me feel good. 
Yeah, look, and that's good. And there is one of the bits that slightly sort of worries me on the long term is that 3G spectrum will eventually be repurposed for 5G usage. And it's one of those things where, you know, 3G still plugs some of those gaps when mm-hmm. you know, I see it plenty where I live um, going around and seeing that your phone falls back over to 3G. I really hope that, you know, that the strategy or that somehow that the tech in, attached to 5G is you know, perfectly capable of picking up those gaps so that we don't suddenly find there are even more of those SOS-only zones suddenly because there's no more 3G. I think that's all people in regional areas want. You know, uh, once we're over that sandstone divide, let's make sure that we yeah. can get all that connectivity. Look, we are doing a bit of a speed run today, um, but you wanted to talk just really quickly, the Galaxy Z Flip, something's got you very bothered. Yeah, so I just I literally saw saw this article just while digging through some of the other details around all things Mobile Congress not happening and all that jazz. Someone spotted, and I have not used a Samsung phone in a while, so I don't understand this, but apparently literally on the phone screen, when you open up to dial somebody's phone number, and I know we don't all do that very often anymore. <laughs> we just, you know, it's there in our contacts. They're already talking to us. But when there is a places tab, there's some kind of tab system you can set up. And by default, this is on, on the phone screen. And the very first tile on this places system is an ad unit that they just like throw ads on. And on this very expensive phone, and I'm only calling it very expensive because they're putting ads on it. What the hell is this? I've never seen this. I saw like a screenshot of someone just going, how is there an ad on the phone dialer screen? You have to kind of click one of the bits at the bottom to then get to the keypad instead of this places tab where it's throwing ads in your face. I've got to track this have, down. I haven't seen it, but, you know, I do know that I think Samsung um, has had to issue kind of a, a information to people who have been saying, why is there an ad on my lock screen? They've had to say, well, it's not us. You might have given a Google Play app permission to to throw an ad up on the lock screen. I promise we're not doing it. But at the end of the day, they have right. provided the infrastructure where that can still be happening, haven't they? Yeah. And, I mean, this is definitely one of those things that can come up on, you know, the old open type systems that, you know, that Android can be um, where, yeah, that if you've decided I'm going to set it up in my kind of special way with all the extra bits and pieces installed and then and then there is a good point there that maybe you have, you know, set up your new phone from a backup off your old phone that things like that might crop up, I guess, that um, suddenly, you know, a few of those things don't quite gel in the way that you thought they would because you've got a fancy new folding phone (laughs) and suddenly the positioning of things is different. And then it's like, oh, what the hell is this doing on my screen? But um, yeah, I mean, of course, I still always come back to that basic idea, right? That when I'm on Android, I vastly prefer having that lovely Android One experience of just give me stock standard Android, not all your crap built on top of it, just make it, keep it smooth and silky. Um, and yeah, that it just seems like it's something that you think this just shouldn't happen on a, on a high end brand new device that I've paid all of the money for. And it's like, whether it is Google itself kind of slipping in the side door, there, going on, oh, here's an ad that's uh, customized. <laughs> thanks to your Google account.
Please don't do that. Look, I already get angry enough when I have to get ads on Foxtel, a service I'm already paying for. Why <laughs> right. am I getting an ad as well as giving you money? Isn't it meant to be the other way around? I don't know. I could do yeah. without it. That said, yeah. that said, I don't mind a targeted ad here and there. I, I, I've actually found myself even buying a few things that I've found on targeted advertising. Yeah. It's just And look, good. when you buy something through a targeted ad, that is always one of the best moments of evidence for the fact that AI isn't as clever as we wish it was because, of course, <laughs> you'll then get, for the next month, you'll get ads for the thing you just bought because it thinks you're still interested. <laughs> it's so true. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> James Byrne, shall we leave it there? Yes, let's wrap it up. Nick, thank you so much. And, you know, I've been standing on a lovely deck here in Sydney. So if you're wondering if I sound a little bit different, um, that's why I'm, I'm visiting an office up in Sydney and I'm looking out over the lovely Surrey Hills. How, how nice. How nice um, indeed. But, uh, yeah. Look, you guys, you can catch us at Biteside on Twitter, at the Biteside on Instagram, Biteside on Facebook, and, of course, all the bits and pieces are always in your podcast apps and on Biteside.com. Nick, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter at, at Dr. Nick, that is D-R underscore N-I-C, or track me down on Facebook. I'm there as well. Brilliant. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you again next time. Mm-hmm.